Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Bryce Simon is in the building. We're going to dive deep into the guys across the league that feel the most important that aren't quite stars in regard to their team's NBA title hopes, in some cases, play-in hopes, playoff hopes. We're going to get a big swath of guys to talk about and break down and just discuss in terms of how they're able to impact the game and whether or not they've been at their best this season or if teams might be trying to rest them throughout the course of the year. It's an interesting conversation to try and figure out exactly where all of these players are and how they impact their teams moving forward. And some of the guys who can swing important pieces of their team's potential success. Bryce, you're here. We're going to talk about this Celtics Pacers game is going on right now. The quarterfinals, of the in-season tournament, Indiana is up four as we're talking. There's like a minute left. It's really fun. These games are super intense. Uh, especially this one, this like feels like a very real playoff game right now. Uh, What's going on, man? Not much. Yeah, I was watching that game. I'm going to have to download it and watch the whole thing first thing tomorrow. I have a college game queued up that I need to watch. And then I figured both of these in-season tournament games would be next on the list. Listen, the in-season tournament has been really good for the NBA. I will be honest. It hasn't changed a whole lot of my viewing up until tonight. But... I watched these games essentially just as like, I don't know that it was going to add anything for me necessarily. I don't think I've told this story yet though. My brother-in-law, Sam could care less about basketball. Doesn't like it. (laughs) Could care less. I was with him a few weeks ago. He goes, Hey, I was flipping through the channels the other day and the the courts looked different. Like what is going on? What? And I was like, this is exactly why the NBA did it to get somebody like my brother-in-law to stop maybe somebody that cares a little bit more than him but get them to stop ask questions google it ask somebody and then maybe they tune in and then for sickos like us this is gold this is monday december 4th and we're getting this type of basketball so yeah to me this has been in a crazy success by the nba of course there's some tweaks coming that are necessary and all of that i get it but in general uh, outstanding success it's dead on. It, it couldn't be more of a success. How I know it's a success is I saw playoff level takes flying on Twitter earlier. I saw somebody tweet that Derek White is a better player for the playoffs than Tyrese Halliburton is. Like, if, if we're at that take already, we know that this thing is a success. We know that this thing is going to be awesome and be ready uh, and be able to like really, really impact the game in a positive way. These guys really care. Like you should see the Pacers sideline. The Pacers are going to win this game. They're up like nine now. Uh, They're going nuts. Like these dudes really give a shit about this. And honestly, 
the place I kind of want to start now is the Pacers, which you're going to be upset about because I'm going to have to adjust the timeline for you on this. Uh, it's funny. Like originally I had the Pacers at the top and then like I didn't. And yeah, I adjusted. So we are going to talk about the Pacers first, Bryce. Uh, I will go through and adjust the Google doc myself. Okay. We're While you're doing that, I just want to say dudes that are this competitive that get to the NBA, you give them something extra to be competitive about and they're going to step up to the plate. I didn't get anywhere close to that level, but there's a competitive side. Like I literally stopped playing men's league after college because I was such a jerk and I didn't want to be a jerk to these dudes playing men's league. But if you put a basketball in my hands and I have 94 feet and there's officials and you're keeping score, I'm going to, I'm going to work. Like I'm going to play. I'm going to try to win. I'm going to try to blow you out. I'm going to try to make every shot. And if I miss, I'm going to be pissed. And then I got to an age where I was super competitive and I wasn't very good anymore. And I would go home on a Sunday night pissed off because I couldn't hoop the way I wanted to. And it just ruined my night. And so it wasn't worth it anymore. Point being, again, anytime you can add anything to guys that are this competitive, let alone money and some of the other stuff, they are going right. to step up to that. And so, of course, we're going to get these type of results. So let's just kind of start here with the game plan of what the show is. I kind of laid it out at the top, but I want to do it a little bit more in detail. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about essentially like the essential non-stars in the league, the guys that can swing their team's title hopes in one way or another. And I wanted to start with the Pacers here as they beat the Celtics because I think that they are in such a fascinating position. Tyrese Halliburton has been one of the five best players in the NBA to this point this season. There's just not really a case otherwise, in my opinion. You look at the way he's lifted their offense. You look at the way that he has lifted their overall team success. They're at a point where they are a winning team across the league. Having said that, Tyrese does have his limitations. He is a quite a negative defensive player, I think is fair to say. He is so good offensively that he has still been a top five player in the NBA to this point in the regular season, but he is a real question defensively. Ben Matherin is a question defensively. Obi Toppin is a question defensively. So the guy I kind of want to talk about here is Miles Turner. And I've loved Miles Turner's offensive game this season. I think he's been terrific as a floor spacer, uh, as a finisher at the basket. I think he's done pretty well comparatively to what he's been in the past. Uh, you look at his game, I, I think he started to blend even better and better with Halliburton in ball screen situations. I love the way that they're able to use their offense in differentiated ways as well. They can throw Obi Toppin as a screener. They can throw uh, Bruce Brown as a screener. They can throw Miles Turner as a screener. Part of the reason that you can do that is because Miles Turner is such a capable three-point shooter. It's much harder from a spacing perspective to use other guys as screeners on the court if your center can't step out and shoot threes. Miles is capable of that, which makes him such an impactful player on the offensive end. Defensively, I feel like he's been a little bit worse this season. Uh, part of it is definitely that he gets hung out to dry pretty regularly by guys getting beaten, uh, you know, by ball screen situations where teams just essentially try to like seal Halliburton off 
in regard to his lack of strength. There was a game, there's a play late in this game against the Celtics that we just saw where like Jalen Brown, just like essentially set a ball screen, sealed him off, got Halliburton on his back, forced the switch. And it was just like, okay, like, I guess I just kind of have to handle it that way now. Right. Like I have to switch this and you get the mismatch with Brown on Halliburton and you roll like that. Teams will try and take advantage of that across the board in the playoffs. And we'll see if they're going to be capable of it. And if they're going to be capable of outscoring this Pacers team with Halliburton at the helm, which is a genuine just offensive juggernaut. So the question I have is what level do you think the Pacers need to get to defensively in order to be like a real contender in the Eastern conference for like, let's call it the Eastern conference finals, something like that. And B, do you think Turner is their most important guy? I I certainly do on defense, but you can make a case that he hasn't been terrible on defense and thus they need the other guys to lift uh, around him in order to insulate him better. Just what are your overall thoughts on the Pacers at this point and the level that their defense needs to get to in order to be a consistently successful team, not just a successful team in the regular season and in a one-off, you know, winner-take-all game in the in-season tournament. So NBA.com has them 29th in defensive rating, 27th in defensive rebounding percentage, 30th in opponent field goal percentage, and then they're 14th in steals, third in block. So I think for me to really – because a lot of my notes at this point in the season when I watch the Pacers is, yes, they're fun. I love Aaron Neesmith. I love Halliburton. Like all of this stuff is what is this team in the playoffs? And so I think it comes down to a couple things. Let me answer your question first. If they could get top 20 in the defensive side, all of a sudden I'd be like, okay, maybe like this is a real thing, especially if the offense can translate into the playoffs. And so I don't know that we have any reason that it doesn't, but as long as it does, I believe they're the number one offense in the NBA, then if they're top 20 defense, I think you can make a run into the Eastern Conference Finals with that. To answer your second question, I actually think I'm leaning a little bit towards more of Tyrese Halliburton, you got to be better defensively. Benedict Matherin, you got to be better defensively. Mm-hmm. Obi Toppin, you have to figure it out. Or can you take lineups that are a little more geared towards the defense and keep that offense. So can you put in some guys around Miles? Like Miles has to be there. Hallie has to be there. Probably Bruce Brown, right? Can you fill those other two spots with guys that are a little bit better defensively, but that aren't going to bring down, you know, from the number one offense in the NBA? So that's where I would go. But I understand the idea of Miles Turner's the anchor in the middle. And he just, like, if he plays at an all defensive level, then you're really going with something Maybe it's just, I don't know if there is that level for him, but maybe I'm not giving him enough credit to where he could be. So I'm looking through their numbers right now. They give up about 120 points per 100 possessions with a foursome of Miles Turner, Tyrese Halliburton, Bruce Brown, and Ben Matherin in the game. Uh, they give up like 121 with Miles Turner, Halliburton, Bruce Brown, and Aaron Naismith in the game without Matherin in the game. Uh, so I was kind of hoping that like that might say something, but it doesn't really say doesn't anything yeah. in terms of their issues. Uh, I, I do think you're right. Like on some level, Halliburton just 
kind of has to get better on defense. Having said that, like we just watched a game where he went for 26 points, 13 assists, zero turnovers, 10 for 18 from the field, and was just like completely absurd in the fourth quarter, like completely dictated every single thing that happened on the court. Uh, I think they probably have to get better on defense to be like a consistent, real threat. But they're they are dangerous with Halliburton. Like as long as he is running the show, making decisions, being as good as he has been to this point, yeah, like they can win a playoff series, I think for sure. But I, I am, I do struggle with like making a deeper run because, like, okay, so let's say the Celtics in this game have Kristaps, right? Yep. yep. And look, Luke Cornett like played pretty well uh, in the minutes I watched, right? So like, it's not like we're jumping it's a substantial jump, but like I thought Cornette did okay in his minutes tonight. Uh, with Kristaps, it makes you guard in even more space. It felt like to me what the Pacers were able to do because Kristaps wasn't there is they were able to double like Jason Tatum post-ups a little bit more often. That was something they did particularly earlier in the game. It felt like as well, the Celtics like didn't try and take advantage of Halliburton, like mismatches onto Tatum all that often either. When you have somebody like Kristaps out there, it creates an even bigger potential mismatch for somebody like the Pacers to have to deal with because you can't, you definitely can't switch Halliburton onto him because even Kristaps, who has the high center of gravity, he's going to be able to bury Halliburton on the block. But more importantly, it gives you five shooters out there at all times for the Celtics teams are still capable of leaving Al Horford behind the three point line and not, you know, worrying about him as much. Uh, He does take like a bit of a second longer to step into the shot from time to time. And it's just not his main goal. Right. So I'm interested to see what that would look like in a potential playoff series. I think the Pacers like executed absolutely perfectly tonight in terms of what they should do and how they should have operated uh, in this game defensively. It was interesting to see rotationally. They went with, you know, a little bit more Naismith, obviously. Uh, Buddy Heald played quite a few minutes. He had it going tonight. Like, he was fantastic. He dropped 21 points. And, you know, when Buddy has it going, you just kind of roll it and see where it goes. Uh, Matherin played a decent amount. It felt like they went away from like the McConnell and Nemhard minutes. Yeah. It yeah. really just went with like seven guys with two of them being wings. And then when they wanted to go smaller, they were just like, okay, rolling out, you know, three wings, Halliburton and Turner. Right. So, and then even at times, like they kind of even went like super small in this game for portions of it. Like really they went super small for like 14 minutes of this game when Miles Turner was not on the court. So I'm really, really interested to see. I don't think you can do that against like the 76ers. I don't think you can do that against the Celtics with Kristaps. Realistically, I don't think you can do that against Giannis and find success to be honest. So that's what I was going to say real quick. Like offensive rebounds is something that would worry me. What if they even got a bad matchup like the Knicks in terms of that specifically now, 
maybe the Knicks can really guard them. Maybe they can muddy it up. And then Mitchell Robinson goes and gets seven offensive rebounds a night. They're number two in the NBA in offensive rebounding. And so we all know the NBA playoffs are about matchups. I just wonder, and I don't think they've played yet this year. Not that I could find any way with a quick look. That would be an interesting matchup to me or for me in terms of can they go small? Because, yeah, I, just the third quarter that I got to watch before we recorded, they're playing Obi at the five with these yep. other guys. And so, you know, maybe it's just a bad matchup where, like, the Celtics don't really kill you on the offensive boards in that way. So it may come down to that for the Pacers. Do they find teams that can take advantage of that early in, you know, early in the playoffs? If they don't, let their offense really cook. Their defense is just good enough, and they can make a run at this thing. I also want to make a quick note. I freaking love the NBA, Sam. Tonight, Luke Cornett was guarding TJ McConnell. Like, that was the matchup. That it's the great, Celtics. isn't it? It's, it's incredible. You couldn't have turned on a basketball game 20 years ago. People, what are you doing? The point guard guards the point guard, and the center guards the center. It's like, yeah. this is, I, I know it's, it's, it's out of the left field. I get it. I just think it's amazing that the way coaches and teams just decide to guard people and the matchups they decide, the creativity, I, I love it. I just absolutely love it. Well, and it was so interesting, too, because, like I mentioned, the 76ers, right? I think the series, like in the East, in the first round, that I would want to see more than any other is the 76ers Pacers. Yeah. Because of that, like, potential weird, like, cross-matching that they'd have to figure out uh, across the board. The Pacers will absolutely put Joel Embiid into space defensively and make his life a living hell. We've seen like, th this is the recipe for how the Atlanta Hawks upset the Philadelphia 76ers in the playoffs with Trey young. Uh, what was that? 2021. If I remember correctly, um, could have been, no, I think it's 2021. Um, it's also like a recipe for, okay, we have to find a second big option because Joel will play 40. So you have to play miles 40. You have to find an option on the offensive glass against them. They split their games, both of their games uh, that they played earlier this season. They played a back to back, just like shootouts, like pure fire fests. Uh, not in the fire fest terminology of uh, failed concerts either. They, they were one thirty two to one twenty six and one thirty seven to one twenty six. Like the, these games, and as many Indiana Pacers games do just turned into pure offense fests. Like the two games before this were against the heat and it was 144 to 129 and 142 to 132. Like the Pacers defense has been all over the map this year, but their offense is the best that we've ever seen in league history at this point. And it's Rick Carlisle. I think they probably need to be a little bit better than what we've seen to this point on defense, but man, I, I don't know. They got, they got something working. Do you think that this is just kind of, do you think this was, you don't want to be this bad defensively, but do you think this was essentially the game plan? Like, do you think they just came into the year and said with this roster, no. with where you don't think it, like you, you think it kind of happened organically a little bit, not by, Hey, this is the roster we have. And this is just how we have to try to win. I think that they hoped that, Turner and Bruce Brown would be able to lift the defense yeah. to a bit more of a reasonable level. Sure. Um, part of it is too, like we just need to be upfront about this. Like they play at a breakneck pace and like transition, you know, high pace teams that play this kind of transition 
it is hard to defend. Like you are going to give up a, n- a larger number of transition buckets, but I also feel like they need to get to a level where they can defend. I think I agree with you having thought about this more that yes, I think miles Turner is important. And yes, I think miles Turner probably has to do a better job specifically. The reason I picked him for this specifically is the defensive rebounding. I think he needs to do a better job of just controlling the defensive glass. Yes. Um, But I, I think I do agree with you on the defensive end more broadly that they either need to go find an answer. Like maybe it's you try and convince the Raptors to part with OG Ananobi or something like that, or they just need their dudes to play better. Like you need, I think Aaron Naismith's been okay defensively this year. I think that uh, other than that, like it is a little bit tough on the wings. I think Nemhard's been like, okay. Okay. At times. Uh, Bruce Brown's obviously like been, you know, his, solid self in terms of defense, but like, I thought he's a little bit better last year in Denver. I thought he had a little bit more energy to expend on defense last year in Denver. It feels like, so they they need to find some answers, but they're a great team to watch. And they are a legitimately like good competitive team that can beat anybody on any given night. Let me ask this. How do you think the offense translates to the playoffs? Because I know a lot of people are like, oh, you can't play this fast and the game slows down and all of those types of things. And, and, and I get it. And it- No, that, that was a real talking point coming into tonight's game. I think that's like a reasonable, it's a reasonable question to ask. Yeah, and so I'm interested to see how fast they can play. The one thing that's interesting about them is they go after makes, too. If you score on them, they come back at you after a make. I love Tyrese Halliburton. Watch Tyrese Halliburton after a team makes a bucket. He will be looking down the floor as his teammate is stepping out of bounds. So when he catches the inbounds pass, he already knows if he can throw it up the floor or if he just needs to dribble it or whatever. He's already processing and figuring it out before he catches the ball. Like I just, that's a little more old school outlet point guard type stuff. And I I do love seeing that from Halliburton. To answer your question, I think the offense will be fine. Uh, Halliburton has gotten to the point where he is so good and so dominant on the offensive end. I I don't know how you stop him. So like you, you can try and put two on the ball. I think like that's an interesting strategy to me, but Part of why the team brought in Bruce Brown is that, you know, you put, you want to put two on the ball. You want to play that way in ball screens. Okay. We're going to have Bruce Brown come up, hit the short roll to him. And then we got Bruce Brown, you know, taking advantage of a marginal advantage four on three situation where, you know, he grew up playing point guard. He's very capable of making those reads. He had a bunch of assists tonight in this game. Like it's, I think it's going to be really, really hard to stop them. Who would, you, who, would really who would you make prove? Who would you make prove their shooting in a playoff setting, Sam? Miles Turner, Obi Toppin, or Benedict Matherin? Who oh, for if, sure, Obi. I think Obi is the one that you leave open. I, I think that you know that's another piece of the problem here is like I think that like if you go up against a team like the Heat and look like again they just dropped like 135 in back to back games per game against the Miami Heat, right? But, like, I think if you give them, like, a series and you give Spo like, a minute, I would imagine that, like, they'll try and condense a little bit, force Turner to knock down shots, force Toppin to knock down shots. I still think the Pacers are, like, tailor-made for a trade at some point. Here. Sure. 
to be able to like go out and go get a real defensive piece that can also shoot. Like if I was them, like Buddy Heald is an interesting guy for them to try and move in a deal like this. I know Buddy played really well tonight. He's been like a little bit hit or miss, but he has an expiring salary, obviously. And is somebody that if you are able to do him, plus like, you know, picks, they have Ben Shepard, they have, um, you know, I th- I wouldn't want to move Jairus Walker at this point, but like they have a number of potential assets, obviously, that they can go out and move. I would try and go and do something like that. Yeah, uh, no, if I, I was them. I, that that makes a lot of sense. Like they're they are definitely. I mean, this is no surprise. This is no sort of hot. They're in like win now, go for it. Let's try to w- go as far yeah. as we possibly can this year. It's not like, hey, let's just ride it out and see what this team is. I, I think they should be in like let's. Uh, I'm not saying sell the farm. Don't get. Me, I'm not saying yeah. trade Jarris Walker and all your picks. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like making a move to give yourself an even better, greater chance is definitely something I would be interested in seeing them do. You know, who'd be really fun for them to go get. And I haven't really seen them connected all that much. Alex Caruso. If the Bulls blow this thing up. Yeah. Go get like another super processor out there, basically who, you know, another guy that like questionable is a shooter, but like, if you keep getting these guys that are super processors who can dribble and pass and make decisions at a super high level. And then also Caruso, you get the added advantage of him being like the perfect guy to put next to Halliburton defensively. That's an interesting one. Well, because Caruso Brown and Turner better be able to defend. Like at that point, those three guys better be able to get you to a certain level. And then you still have Hallie and then you can put Buddy Hill, whoever you want to, whether you need more floor spacing or whatever it is, whatever you feel like needs to be the fifth guy. It doesn't even have to be a defensive decision. And you know, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on. We said we wanted to be out of here in an hour. (laughs) <laughs> and we just talked for 25 minutes about the Indiana Pacers. Rightfully uh, we so. Will see that actually occurs. Okay. So next up, we are going to go to the Golden State Warriors. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Shout out Pacers fans. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in. 
creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying eyes. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. All right, we're back. Let's talk Andrew Wiggins. Uh, to me, this is now going to get more into like the traditional goal of what we were trying to do with this podcast, which is talk about some of the non-stars that can be swing guys. Andrew Wiggins, to me, is such a fascinating player this season. The Warriors, in general, are fascinating. I think they're at the point where they probably need to make some sort of shakeup move in some respect. I think it's going to be hard for them to move Wiggins based off of his contract and the fact that they have other guys that are expirings that they could move in a deal to go and try and get somebody else that could do some things. I did see that Bill Simmons brought up like a Wiggins and Kaminga and a pick deal for Pascal Siakam. That's like an intriguing idea in some respect to me. Uh, but let's talk about Wiggins and why he's so important. I think that the game that I talked about last week on the show with Mark Schindler with the Sacramento Kings, uh, where the Kings ended up coming back from like an enormous deficit and winning, it's kind of a real encapsulation of how important Wiggins is to them. Wiggins had a bunch of points in that game, but more than anything, Steve Kerr felt like he had to put Andrew Wiggins back on the court in that game defensively because Stephen Curry never been like a great on ball defender. We can talk about his value in team contexts and everything, but never been a great on ball defender. Clay Thompson, not capable of taking on those elite level matchups anymore. They need Andrew Wiggins to be able to come in and be that impactful guy who can really make plays at a high level. Now, The problem with this is that Wiggins has been very bad offensively to start this season, like truly horrifically bad. Uh, to this point, Andrew Wiggins is averaging 12.8 points, shooting 43% from the field, 27% from three, uh, averaging 4.4 rebounds, 1.2 assists, and 1.8 turnovers. That's like drastically below replacement level for somebody who has the level of usage that he does. I 
just like th- this one's hard because on some level you need to just say, Hey, Andrew, like you, we need you to go play better. Like when Wiggins is on the court this season, the Warriors are losing their minutes by 8.3 points per 100 possessions. When Wiggins is off the court, they're winning their, they're winning by 9.2 points per 100 possessions. And this is despite the fact that of Wiggins 490 minutes played this season, he has played 408 of them with Stephen Curry. That is insane that they are this bad with Wiggins on versus Wiggins off. It's like almost kind of unfathomable to me. And like Steph's numbers are not this bad, despite the fact that he's played two thirds of his minutes with Wiggins. Uh, Steph has played 600 minutes this season. In his minutes, they are a minus 2.4. If you look at the Steph minutes without Wiggins, they're a plus 12.3 per 100 in these situations. It is crazy how like harmful Wiggins has been to his team so far. And this is a guy that was really valuable for them when they won their title. They needed a guy that could come in, knock down threes, occasionally be able to run a second unit, be able to get, you know, shots in isolation for his team, and then be able to defend at a high level. And he just hasn't done any of it to this point. Uh, where, where, what do we do with Andrew Wiggins? Cause this feels like a very difficult situation for Golden State. Yeah, it is. And I think going back to one of the first episodes I recorded with you, we talked, I don't know if we were talking X factors into the season. I think we went through every team in the X factors or something like that. And Andrew Wiggins was the one for me for the Golden State Warriors. As much as we had talked about Jonathan Kaminga and these different guys, I thought it was vital for Andrew Wiggins to be really good. One referencing that NBA finals run where he was really good in those finals, in those playoffs. I just looked it up. He averaged seven and a half rebounds per game in those playoffs, Sam. Right now, you said he's averaging 4.4. That is less than Steph Curry. And Brandon Pajimski almost averages more rebounds per game right now than Andrew Wiggins. So, yes, it's the offensive stuff and not making shots. He's even shooting bad from the free throw line. But rebounding to me kind of tells you kind of your energy level, your activity level, especially if other guys, it's not like they have a 12 rebound a a game guy on their team. Their leading rebounder is Kevon Looney at 8.7. So there's rebounds to be had. He's not doing it. And so I I don't know, like my answer is like Andrew Wiggins is going to play better. That's what my heart wants to say. That's what I want to believe. I just, how can you, you can't argue those numbers. We're not, this isn't a six game sample. This is 18 games of Andrew Wiggins, and it's not good at all. And the Warriors need him. I love Klay Thompson. I think this is about as good as you're going to get from Klay Thompson at this point in his career. I think he could find some more efficiency, but this is kind of where he is right now. This is what you're going to get from Draymond. You're probably getting more than you expected from Brandon Pajemski. Kaminga has been up and down, but you're getting a little bit. I, I, actually really like Moses Moody minutes. I think he's played well, but it's either you believe Andrew Wiggins is going to step up and be the guy he was in that playoff run, or you make a move and you are in win a championship now mode, obviously with the Warriors. So if that takes some hard decisions, if, if that takes like mortgaging the future a little bit, 
I'm in the camp that you still do that. You have to get every ounce of Steph Curry's career that you can, in my opinion. And if that means you trade Wiggins plus a young guy to go get somebody that can help now, then I think you have to do it if you don't think he's going to be able to turn it around. I mean, I think you do it. The The issue that I'm having with it is I kind of think they're a little bit stuck with Wiggins. Maybe not. Maybe they can move him more easily than what I think. The cap's going up, obviously. And, you know, he's in a situation where he's got like, I think it's like $106 million, something along those lines. I, I don't know the exact number. It's like 100 and something million left on his contract with Golden State for four years beyond or three years beyond this one. He So he has, he's on the books this year for 24, then 26, then 28, and then a player option at 30 for 26, 27. So, so it's three, like 107. Yeah, yeah. Three years beyond yeah. this, like that 30 million in 26, 27 isn't crazy considering where the cap's going to be, but um, I mean, it, a, it's crazy if he's like this though. Yeah, fair. Like if he's <laughs> playing like this, it's really bad. Fair. So where I'm struggling with this is basically what do you do if you're the Warriors? Do you ride this out? Do you try and move him for nothing? I, I think you kind of have to ride this out personally. And the other problem that this eventuates if Wiggins doesn't bounce back is you, you basically have to try and move him then if you're going to bring back Clay. Because uh, Clay is a free agent at the end of this season. You can't have both Clay and Wiggins playing at their current levels no, no. and continue to try and compete for a title. You need those guys to improve. Wiggins right now, obviously, is going to miss some level of time because he slammed a finger in his car door. And like that's not going to help him get better as a shooter right now. Uh, it's it's you had leaks like coming out of Golden State. It felt like where Kendra Andrews mentioned that like you know the Warriors may have been like disappointed in some way with his preparation coming into the year. It's like Wiggins is a swing guy, man. Like they need him. Like Moses Moody is good, and Moses Moody I think has been better than Andrew Wiggins this season. I don't think Moses Moody is a guy that on the ball you can throw on somebody and say, hey, we need you to be the stopper defensively on this dude. That's just not like his game. He's a good team defender. He's long. He's athletic. Like he's terrific. It's yeah, it's just different. So I complain about the Pistons not having a second score, Sam, that the gap between Cade Cunningham and the second leading score is so drastic. You know, the gap between Stephen Curry and the second leading score on the Warriors is actually bigger. Like the gap is more drastic. The ratio is more drastic than what it is in Detroit. I believe I saw a stat where that gap is bigger than any in the league between Steph at 29.1 and Clay at 15.7. And then as much as we've kind of ragged on Andrew Wiggins here, he's still their third leading scorer at 12.8. Like this, this team needs somebody that can go get some buckets along with Steph Curry because we've talked about Moses Moody and it's only in 18 minutes a night, but 8.7, he's not even at 10 points a game. I don't think Chris Paul is a guy that's going to go get you a ton. Like they need some guy that is going to get some buckets and there is a real gap there. And so I was looking at their draft pick situation. Essentially they can trade that they have two future first. They have some protections on one over the next three years, but 
actually only you could go is 2028. So there, it, it would be real interesting what they could put together and who that person could be that they could go try to acquire. Yep. They have all sorts of options. They like, they have real, real options that they can explore this year. I've kind of wondered if they would do it at some point, the last couple of years, I kind of think this is the year where they do it. To be honest, that that's kind of what I'm, thinking that that might be it uh okay next i want to go to the lakers the lakers are in an interesting spot obviously they are currently pulling up their record as we speak 12 and 9 they've been really good defensively they've been kind of a mess on offense it feels like when i watch them lebron is the only guy that is able to get like real penetration into defenses as a driver you know it's just not really like d'angelo russell's game never has been uh to an extent really especially after his knee injuries gabe vincent has only played four games and you know gabe vincent's not a guy that's really going to be doing that either you know hutch fino has not really been able to play they're bringing in max christie but that's not max christie's game i just doesn't do that yeah torian prince and cam reddish they don't really do that Anthony Davis is like a post-up guy that you can maybe space and do things with. I really, really think that Austin Reeves is like the most important guy uh, outside of LeBron and AD for the Lakers still. Uh, he he is the guy that can like actually collapse defenses at times. He can make passing reads and make plays that way. Uh, he's kind of figured it out after that rough start. They've started bringing him off the bench. I think the people kind of melted down after he played pretty poorly to start the season. And then from the moment that they've started bringing him off the bench, he's been, you know, 14 points, five rebounds, five assists on 50, 35, 87 from the field. So like he's basically been back to pretty close to what he was in the playoffs. I thought that he would take a leap this season after seeing him with team USA. He hasn't done that. I think he needs to like get to the point where he was in the playoffs and potentially take a leap beyond that. Yeah, I agree. I think he's the guy, whether people want to agree with it or not, you go through the roster and you essentially just did Sam. There isn't somebody else. There's not a better option at the very least. I tend to believe he can be that guy. I thought we saw it on the biggest stage in the playoffs, him doing that, him orchestrating offense in some of the biggest moments and, uh, quick shout out to Austin Reeves and his new shield shoe deal or extension with rigor and everything he's doing there um, that just got announced here. And I think this morning or something like that, but I think he's the guy outside of LeBron that you are just going to have to put the ball in his hands and let him do his thing. And I, I tend to think he can, I think you put him ball screens with AD and there was a stretch early. This was an earlier game in the season, but I, I wrote down the sequence I said, man, they need to put the ball in Austin Reeves' hands. They finally do it, and they go, Reeves pull up three, Reeves lay up. There was a turnover, but then he gets a D-low open three-point attempt, and then a Torian Prince gets to attack a closeout. Like, they put the ball in his hands. They ran pick and roll or pick and pop, ball screen, whatever, with him and AD, and good things started to happen. Now, the whole starting off the bench thing, whatever, like, if D'Lo needs that, that's fine. Like, whatever. The important thing is closing. That's exactly minutes in closing. Like Austin Reeves needs to play 30 minutes a night and he needs to be in the closing lineup. 
And again, I think he's the guy that can do it with the ball in his hands outside of LeBron. And so I'm with you here. I think it's an important name to have on this list for a team that's really going for it because, you know, even Rui comes back. He's not the guy that does that. So it has to be Austin Reeves. And I still have all of the Austin Reeves stock that I've always had. It would be interesting to know, like to talk to Austin Reeves and some of these other guys who went and played in FIBA, you know, what, what was that? You know, did they feel like it, it, it affected how they came into the season? We've seen plenty of guys that it didn't. I wonder if maybe Austin came in in the first 10 games, you know, it was just something new for him. And then now he's getting adjusted. I don't know. I have no idea. I just wonder what that's been like for some guys. But again, I have full faith that Austin Reeves can handle what the Lakers need him and they need him to be this. Yeah. They either need him to be that or they need him to, they need to go make a move to like go get another creator, somebody that can consistently break down defenses. Uh, I think he can be this. Like I, yes. I loved what I've seen from him in recent weeks. Like basically since the bench move, I think he's been really quite good and substantially uh, impressive every time I watch them. Uh, you can point to different games where, you know, it's been something of a problem, right? Where like against Philly, like they just like basically didn't show up. And then against like Oklahoma city, uh, it felt like there were real issues in terms of, I don't know if it was like dealing with like Oklahoma city's length or whatever it was, but like, I didn't think, Reeves played particularly poorly in that game. I thought it was more that like uh, defensively, they might've like taken advantage of him a little bit more than what uh, you would like to see maybe uh, from somebody who is as important as he is to their success. What the Lakers are going to have to decide, I think is I think they have to go get something at the deadline. Are they able to focus it? If they trust Austin Reeves, it can be more of like a two way like maybe even defensive leaning player, even though their defense is great. If they don't think that Reeves is that guy, it does need to be like a full scale offensive, like real dude. The other thing that is going to help their defense, obviously is, you know, Jared Vanderbilt, you know, playing. Oh yeah. yeah. Getting back. He's only played one game. He's played 14 minutes so far this season. He's going to, be in their rotation he's going to help lift their defense their energy levels at that point their defense to me like they have a top 10 defense in the league they probably need to be a little bit higher than that if the offense is going to be this big of a struggle but more than anything what they need i think is just somebody who can pressure a defense attack uh consistently get penetration and then be able to spray kickouts because that's how you get torian prince to have value it's how you get cam reddish to have value potentially uh and to me, it's got to be somebody other than LeBron. It can't all be on his shoulders. It needs probably to be Austin Reeves, I think. Yeah, I'm with you there 100%. I mean, I just look at the roster again. I keep looking at the names on the roster and you know what they did this offseason and different things. I'm like, I have to believe the Lakers thought that Austin Reeves was going to be that guy based off what they saw at the end of last season and into the playoffs and again this summer. And so I, I just feel like he's going to. I, I haven't changed my opinion on who I think Austin Reeves is and what he's capable of doing for this Lakers team. Yeah, I think that that is right. I am a believer in Reeves as well. Uh, someone here in the comments brought up, I'd like to see the Lakers get to Rosen, not Levine. I think that that's the name that makes a little bit more sense for the Lakers than Levine personally. It's also just a lot easier for them functionally to execute a trade 
for DeMar DeRozan than it is uh, for Zach Levine in terms of the pieces that they'd have to send the other way in terms of salary matching. Yep. Okay. Right. Uh, next up, I want to go to the Rockets. Jalen Green has had an interesting season. The Rockets in general have had a very intriguing season because they're obviously much better than what they have been. Having said that, they have lost, I believe, like six of seven. They're in the middle of like a pretty difficult road swing here where it was Clippers, Lakers, Warriors all on the road. They lose all of those games. Memphis at home, Denver at home. They win both of those games. And then Dallas, Denver, Lakers on the road. They go and lose all of those games. Now they have Oklahoma City and Denver coming up next. OKC at home. Denver on the road. I I feel like the biggest issue with Houston right now is that it's really a slog for them offensively. Defensively, they are tight. They rotate well. They consistently make winning plays, I think. Like Dylan Brooks has been super impactful defensively just in terms of getting them to a certain level, right? I think Fred Van Vliet has been much more aggressive getting over screens. Uh, he's not been like phenomenal defensively, but he's been good uh, in terms of just like executing the scheme and doing what's asked of him. I think Alperin Sengun like has been very solid within their defensive scheme. The biggest thing that the Rockets have learned this year to me with Sengun is that like you can build a good defense with him in the middle. Uh, I don't think he's the one like driving the great defense necessarily, but He's been totally fine, and you can absolutely make it work. Ime Yudoka has been fantastic. To me, they need another offensive creator because Fred Van Vliet is a guy that is not going to really create driving to the interior. Dylan Brooks is you know, playing a more limited role than what we saw in Memphis on offense, which is to everybody's benefit. Jabari Smith, not a guy that's going to be able to get like forward penetration into the rim. The guy that they really need to be able to do that is Jalen Green. Jalen Green showed flashes last year, I thought, as a driver, being able to draw contact, being able to play with that aggressive downhill style. Uh, you saw like his free throw number really, really spiked last season after in his second season after a rookie season, where it's a bit of a problem. And look, he's averaging like five free throws per game. But when I watch Jalen, like it, it still feels hard. Like it, it's still it's it still feels like more difficult for him as a shooter than what I would have hoped it is. Like I, I hated watching him the last two years, like playing next to Kevin Porter. I thought it was like your turn, my turn. Like it felt like bad process, but like this year it doesn't feel like that necessarily. It feels like the process is okay. And I just wonder like, is he not at that level as like a shooter and as a finisher and as a like skill, like skill wise, is he not there yet? Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well. And I'll tell you this. I knew Alperin Shingun was having an incredible season, Sam. And this isn't, I'm not trying to take anything away. I would have lost money if you would have asked me who the leading scorer on the Rockets was. As many games as I've, I still would have assumed it was Jalen Green. Shingun not only is the leading scorer, uh, yeah. he's also taken the most field goal attempts, which is kind of surprising yeah. to me. Now, I realize the offense runs through him. He's an incredible passer. Like, I'm not trying to take away from Shingun. He's been awesome. I guess I just would have assumed that Jalen Green would have been 
more field goal attempts, more points. I have in my notes something similar to what you just said. I don't even, like, listen, there's some bad decisions, right? There's some bad field goal attempts, those type of things. I said, I don't hate his process. He just isn't finishing plays. I don't think what he does is, like, bad. He's just not producing the way you would want right now. I think I think he's going to get the style over substance thing. And the most recent game I watched, I didn't come away feeling that with him. It was just like he didn't make the shots. He's 42% from the field, 35% from three right now. And so he just got to make shots at a higher clip. And I think you would think that he would get easier shots that he can really knock down because he is so darn explosive and twitchy. I mean, it's so impressive. He's so aesthetically pleasing to watch in that way. And so I, I don't, I don't know what my takeaway is yet. Like, I still don't want to be like, oh, he's not going to get there. Maybe it's just the start of it, right? Like you talked about the first yeah. two years, the process wasn't great. It was your turn, my turn. Now he's trying to figure out, okay, Shingun's really, really good. He can score it. He can pass it. Fred's running the offense a little bit. JSJ can do some things. I got to find my place within here. And I'm still just navigating that a little bit. And my, my efficiency will increase as I figure that stuff out. Do you feel like when I watch them, I feel like Fred and Shangun have like good synergy in ball screens. When I watch them, like, I don't know, like they're good reps and there are not good reps for green and Shangun and ball screens. And you would expect that to be flipped, right? Because like Jalen and Shangun have played together for a while now. Fred and Shangun are still feeling each other out and learning. It's it's just weird to me, like in those exchanges where you, you would expect it to be the opposite, but it's not. And I feel like th- they don't quite have that in those moments yet. Uh, just real quick, like Alperin and Jalen obviously like play most of their minutes together. When Shangun is on the court and Jalen Green is off the court, their net rating is like they beat teams by like 10 points per hundred possessions. Uh, Jalen still has like a long way to go defensively. I think he's been a little bit better this season. Honestly, like there was just nowhere to go, but up after last season, uh, he, he is way like the effort level is just way better on defense. Frankly, he's still not awesome on that end. I don't think, uh, so like when the finishing isn't quite what you'd love to see and he's not like a dynamic passer or playmaker, right? Yep. Th- there are times where he's just like not wildly impactful out on the court. And I feel like we're at the point now where like he should probably be reaching that level yeah. of like being like a real dude out there. And sometimes it's, it's not that yet. And well, that's something to me. We've talked about this with other teams. They're finding out at least, right? The Rockets put a roster together that we're yeah. finding out. And they're, more importantly, they're finding out what Alperin Shingun is and is not. They found out this year, as you stated earlier, Alperin Shingun can be a part of a quality NBA defense and can be a real offensive type hub of a player. They're going to find out what is JSJ. We're finding out what is or is not Jalen Green. I wish I would have looked up his synergy play types because I have in my notes, I really like him running up pin downs to catch and shoot, curl and score, curl and dump off. Like I really like yep. seeing him those actions. And so I'd just be interested to know 
how much is he getting his stuff out of pick and roll handler compared to isolations compared to off screens compared to off cuts and those type of things because I, I just wonder where those things fall in line because I like him a little bit more doing those things. And as you said, maybe he hasn't quite figured out the nuance of the ball screen with Shingun to be super effective just yet. So 160 pick and roll possessions this season, 64 spot ups, 32 ISOs, 27 handoffs, 16 off of screens to this point. Uh, In ball screens, he has a 47.2 true shooting percentage right now. Uh, off of screens, 61.2. Off of handoffs, 61.1. Uh, and in spot-ups, 50.3. So that's where I see it. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Like, you don't have to start the possession with the ball in your hands, especially with somebody like Shingun, to eventually be a guy that makes a play. Like, throw it to Shingun at the elbow and then go set a pin down for him. Let him come off of it into a zoom action, into a DHO, whatever. Like I would yeah. rather them see him do that than just give him the ball and then run a ball screen. And so yeah. maybe they're figuring that out too, right? Like you have to go through some of this stuff to figure that stuff out. That's kind of what I see whenever I've watched. Yeah, I think that that's a good call. I think that's generally a good call. But they need they need him, I think. Yes. Look, yes. like you can be like a man Thompson – uh, you know, say that like he can come in and get real penetration and drive transition play at some point. Cam Whitmore, like similar deal, you know, attacking athletic player that could do something like that. But, you know, Jalen from a skill level is just ahead of those guys right now. So they they need Jalen to be the guy or again, they need to go make a move, I feel like. Uh, but look, this team's this team's eight and nine, like they they are much more competent and better. They have a plus three net rating right now, despite being eight and nine. Like they play teams tough. Even the games they lose, they play teams tough, uh, which is a credit to Ime Yudoka. I think they've uh, this team has been a fantastic, fantastic uh, watch this season and a great improvement on what they were over the course of the last couple of years. Real quick, okay. somebody asked for the home road. So at home, he shoots 45% on the road, 38, three-point percentage, 73% at home, 32% on the road. Um, usage is a little bit more at home, but the true shooting, 58% at home, right at 50% on the road. So good call there. Yeah, I wonder what that is. It's interesting that it's been like that for you know multiple years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, I want to go to Trey Murphy. You know, we're talking, the Pelicans are playing right now. I've not watched any of that game yet. I kind of wanted to podcast and then I'll catch up as we were going, um, or as, uh, the game goes. So Trey Murphy to me is like one of the biggest swing guys because the Pelicans have gotten by so far. They're 11 and 10. They have a average offense, average defense, everything like that. And they've gotten by while seemingly playing in a phone booth a lot of the time uh, in terms of space. And again, like I want to be clear, like I, I have not watched any of this game tonight. So, you know, we'll see what that looks like when, you know, we get a chance because Trey is playing tonight, which is a great sign, obviously. Uh, he played the last game and, you know, dropped 18 points and shot 40% from three and was super useful for them. Trey Murphy is like a real dude, I think, like league-wide that not nearly enough people know about. He is one of the elite shooters in the NBA. 
and he's six foot nine and he is very, very capable as a defender. The ability for the Pelicans to be able to start something like McCollum, Trey Murphy, Zion Ingram, and Jonas, that's like a team that I think can defend, can create space for Zion offensively to be able to attack at the rim in the way that he needs to create space for Brandon Ingram because Brandon Ingram's not like a lightning three point shooter or anything. He's not trying to get those shots up. He's much more comfortable in the mid range, a lot more comfortable being a little bit more methodical with the ball in his hands. I, I really think that Trey Murphy opening up space for their offense is the like critical piece of them being able to take a leap this year in what is an essential year for them. They need to find out what they have with the Zion Brandon Ingram combo because they are not like a preeminent free agency destination. And B, Brandon Ingram has a year and a half left on his contract now. So if the Ingram Zion thing is not going to work this year, they really have to consider moving him at some point where that's an off season move for me more than like an in season move, but they need to find those answers now. We've talked about the Pelicans before, Sam, where it's like they got a lot of really good defensive guys. Like you really believe in this guy defensively. And then they have a lot of guys where you're like, oh, really believe in this guy offensively. You know, Jordan Hawkins, you believe in him offensively. He's trying defensively. He's not just there. Murphy's the one guy on this roster where you're like, he kind of puts it all together for him. So you want to go an all offensive lineup? You can do that because Murphy can contribute to that. And then he's going to play defense. You want to go a little bit more defensive heavy. Obviously you're still going to keep on BI or Zion in any of these lineups, but you want to go a little bit more defensive heavy. Well, that's okay. You can do that because Murphy will do that, but then he can also space the floor on the offensive end. I just, I think he's the linchpin to them finding success. If they find success, it's because a guy like this, that spaces the floor the way he does has his size and can defend really unlocks a bunch of different lineups because he can space the floor, but also be able to defend. And that just adds so much to your team. So I think this is huge for them. Obviously played really well the other night. Sounds like he's playing decent as we're recording this. I think this is huge for the Pelicans. This is a team I'm really, really interested. This is a roster I'm fascinated by. And this isn't Trey Murphy stuff, but I I heard this on a different podcast, how little... CJ, BI, and Zion had played together. They've only played 263 minutes together since they've all been acquired. And like 122 three-man lineups have played that many minutes this season in the NBA. So uh, 263 minutes is all they've played together coming into tonight. So they've still got a lot of stuff to figure out. And I don't know, they could be a sneaky nice team if, if Murphy really plays at the level I think I think we both believe in him being able to play at. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the idea of two way play, right? So just to be clear on those 263 minutes, when McCollum Williamson and Ingram have played together, they are a plus 10.7 in terms of net rating over the course of the last three years. They just are really, really good in those moments. Uh, Number two, You're 100% right in terms of that two-way play. I'm really glad that you brought that up because you look through this roster right now, right? Zion Williamson, you know, I I think he's not been like a disaster defensively this season like he's been previously, but he's 
not a you know high-end defender. Brandon Ingram's not a great defender. Herb Jones is like one of the three best perimeter defenders in the league, in my opinion, but you know, not a great offensive player at this stage. CJ McCollum, you know, not a great defensive player. Jose Alvarado, you know, a useful defensive, you know, change of pace player, right? Dyson Daniels, unbelievable defensive player, right? Another guy that has an immense ceiling on defense. Murphy is the guy that kind of ties it all into the middle in a real tangible way by being that two-way guy. You can get away with having great one-way players if you have one or two guys out there that are like elite on both ends of the court. Murphy isn't an elite defensive player, but he's good enough. And in terms of his ability to space the court and be an like elite off-ball offensive player, he is that. Like he is a really valuable transition option. He's a really valuable shooter and floor spacer. Obviously you can run him off of all sorts of different actions. You can run him as a screener for Zion. There are a lot of different things that you can do with Trey Murphy. And he's just like a really, really, really valuable piece for them because of how good he is off the ball. I just want to say too, the games I've watched and maybe it's just the games I've watched and maybe he's just playing well right now. Najee Marshall has been really good in the games I've watched. Like I just, I went back through my Pelicans notes and I have a lot of really positive Najee Marshall notes and again, like uh, I don't watch these other teams every single night like I do the, the Pistons, but I, I've always come away impressed. I'm not saying he's anywhere near what Trey Murphy is, obviously, but I just wanted to give him a quick shout out because he stood out in some of the games that I've watched here recently. Yeah, he's been solid. I feel like I've missed some of his good games, obviously, <laughs> uh, but I feel like he has been quite interesting uh, when I've seen him. The the big thing that having Trey Murphy back does also is Jordan Hawkins has been useful and valuable for them as a floor spacer this year at times, but he is a real problem for them on defense. Like every single time that you watch him, like it's a real issue. Uh, I'm glad that Shamit Dua uh, grabbed this, but the net differential for the Pelicans coming into this game, when Jordan Hawkins is on the court, uh, they're a minus 7.2 when he's off the court. They're a plus 11.1. They needed him for a stretch there because he can really shoot, but he was probably a little bit overtaxed in terms of role. He has not entered the game so far in the first half or, you know, into the second quarter here, and he's not in their first nine guys coming into the game. Ten guys, actually, I'm sorry. Uh, so it'll be intriguing to see if that continues. And also it is worth noting that having like a real defender upgrade and a better shooter, frankly, than what Jordan is, uh, be able to come in is a real valuable thing for the Pelicans. Yeah, absolutely. No, it'll be interesting to see his role and you know, how he shoots. I'm sure he's still going to get minutes here and there spot minutes throughout the regular season as guys rest or, you know, they just need an influx of energy or shooting or something like that. But that's not an always an easy role to adjust to. You know, he was the focal point of that UConn offense. He's running off all these screens and they're yeah. running these actions for him. And when you know you're going to get those shots and you know you're going to keep playing, whether you make them or not, it's it's not always easy to make a quick adjustment to the very next year. Okay, I'm getting 10 minutes tonight and I'm only going to get three shots and I got to be able to knock those ones down or my value isn't, you know, I'm not making impact on the game. So that's not easy. And I'm not saying that's always going to be his role in his career. We've talked about this at length. I'm higher on Jordan Hawkins than anybody, but it may be moving forward as this team gets healthy with some of these other guys. Yep. 
let's go to the last one here. This is not even, this is like a former star, certainly. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that it's really realistic to say he's played like that to this point this year, but certainly could reach that level again. Chris Middleton with the Bucks. Now, the Bucks have been awesome recently. If you go through, I think that they lost something like four of their first nine games or whatever, and, you know, only beat the Pistons by two and played like even their wins were like close wins against teams that may not be great, right? By nine against Chicago, right? You know, played a tight game against Indiana, lost by 15 to Orlando. Over their last 11 games, they have won nine of them, and they have been pretty good in that time. It's hard to say they've been bad, I think. But again, like given the schedule that they've had during that run, you know, they beat Portland by six and need like a miracle comeback to do it. They beat Washington by three. They beat Washington by 13, which, you know, you would expect them to beat Washington by more than that. They lose to Chicago. Like, it's it still felt like a struggle even when they've been winning. Middleton, I thought, against Miami in a game that they won, I thought he looked quite good. Uh, he dropped 17 points in 23 minutes. Like, he got to all of his spots in the mid-range. I thought he was super, super effective. But I still just think that this looks harder than it has to be for the Bucks right now. Every time I watch them, like that's just my takeaway. Like it, it's it's harder than it has to be. Yeah, I mean, I when this trade was made, or maybe even when we were talking about it, I said, okay, well, who's going to guard on the the perimeter? Like who's going to Middleton? Essentially, it was Middleton was going to have to be, as somebody says here, vintage Middleton. Like he, he became him coming back healthy and being very, very good became a lot more important whenever that trade happened, because as good as Dame is, as good as Giannis is, as good as Brooke Lopez is, you are going to need Middleton to be that guy. To me, I don't know that we're going to get this answer in the regular season though, Sam, right now he's playing just over 20 minutes a night. I think he just started playing more than 20 minutes. He didn't play his first, I guess he had a couple 21 minute games early in the year. The most he's played all year though is 28 against Boston. So they're obviously being very careful with him. The most games he's played in a row is five without taking a night off. And so like, it's all fine. Like I don't, I don't mind any of it. It seems like it's probably the smart play. I just don't know if we're going to have the answer of what he's truly capable of until we get to the playoffs when it seems like that's what they're playing for and where they're going to turn him loose. But I will agree, and I haven't seen any games in the last week, but I felt like it's been a little bit of a struggle for him. I, I think the way you said that is the way I would have phrased it as well. It just it looks a little bit tough. I don't even know that it's been a struggle for him necessarily. I just feel like for the team, like I, I don't mean that it's been a struggle for him. I think he's looked, like I said, like I think he's looked like pretty okay in the minutes that I've seen him for a guy that like they're clearly easing back in. Yeah. Right. It's more just like structurally, it just feels hard. Like they don't run Dame Giannis ball screens and they, it, it just feels very, very difficult to get into the offense in important moments. Like I know that the offense is 
think that they're in the top 10 somewhere in offensive efficiency. The defense is still obviously like it's rebounded. Like it's not total disaster anymore, which is good, but it's still a, a question. Let's go with at the very least moving forward for them. It just, the team, it feels harder for them. And I guess like when you add Damian Lillard and you're adding like new, a lead guard when you've had drew there for so long, I guess it makes sense that it's been harder maybe than what I would have expected. It doesn't need, I don't know. Like it doesn't feel like it should be this hard for a team. That's so good. Like they're 14 and six, you know what I mean? Like you would expect them to be better than, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I expected them to, for it to be a little bit easier, maybe is the way to put it. Well, Dame's still, he's at 43% from the field, 34% from three. Middleton's at 33% from three. Portis is at 29% from three. Connaughton's at 34%. So I think, you know, I think you think most of those guys end up shooting it a little bit better. Actually, Malik Beasley has shot the ball really well. He's at 45% on over six attempts per game. So that's been really nice for him to shoot it that well. Jay Crowder, I, just nine games, I guess, but has shot it well. Campaign has shot it well. So even Beauchamp has yeah. shot the ball well. And Payne, Beauchamp, and Beasley are the ones that it feels like are kind of you know out ahead of where they should be right now. Yeah, and so maybe that balances each way, right? Like some of those guys I listed earlier shoot it a little bit better. These guys come back down to earth. But yeah, I mean, I think you just it felt like you were going to put Dame in there and it would be a seamless fit. Like it would just figure, you know, whenever James Harden got traded to the Clippers, I think we all knew there was going to be growing pains, right? Like how is this going to work with these guys? And is Russ going to continue to start? Or is he going to come off the bench? And, and those type of things. I think we all thought it was going to be a little bit easier for Milwaukee, a little bit more seamless. And it just hasn't happened which is a little bit scary considering they are all of the things you just said they were in terms of their record and offensive ratings and all of those things. So when they do figure it out and it does look easier and better, I mean, the rest of the NBA may be in a little bit of trouble. Even though I still think the Celtics are probably the favorites, but I mean, 14 and six, and they still haven't maybe figured out the chemistry yet. Yeah. Like again, like it's really important that they're racking wins right now above yeah. all, I think. For them to be 14 and six while they're still figuring all this out, I think teams should be worried, but they should be worried as long as Chris is yes, who he can be, I think. That's the important piece of this. Like Chris the- needs to be what he is, is like a secondary creator next to Dame. Otherwise, it might be a little bit hard, especially if they're not going to rely on the Dame Giannis pick and roll, which we all thought they would, but like they haven't really been integrating as much as what we expected. Yeah, so that's the whole point of all this is Chris has to be that guy. Like at the end of the day, Chris has to be that guy. And if he is, it's going to be okay. It's, it's going to be very exciting. If he's not, if, if it, it's a little bit worrisome. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Okay. Let's go to like just a big group of players now here to run through. A T- couple of rookies that really have stood out to me, Derek Lively and Jaime Hawkes. Like if... Derek Lively is like essential for Dallas. My God, Uh, their defense falls off of a cliff when he's not on the court. Uh, They like desperately need him to be able to hold real minutes because if he's not, it gets very, very challenging for Dallas as a team. Uh, If you look at their numbers so far this season with Lively on the court, 
Uh, they have a 116.4 defensive rating when he is off the court. They have a 120.4 defensive rating. Uh, you look at those numbers with Luca. I believe that they are like slightly more dramatic, if I remember correctly. So Luca's numbers with Lively, 115.5. Luca's numbers without Lively, they give up 122.8. So Lively is like a critical piece of the Dallas Mavericks right now. They desperately need him to continue to grow throughout the year and like get even better than what we've seen so far. And he's been really great to start the year. Yeah. And I think offensively as well, I I have notes from a game. He didn't play Rashawn Holmes just doesn't offer the same vertical lob threat. Like he just, I mean, this is no secret. He just isn't that guy. Holmes is in the right spot and you see Luca and Kyrie trying to throw in lobs and he just can't go finish the plays the way Derek Lively does. So I, I think defensively, all the stuff you just said, but I even think offensively, he adds a dynamic that I think from what I've seen, I think Luca especially loves having that guy rolling to the rim and the vertical gravity yeah. that he has. Well, think about the way that Rashawn Holmes like made his money, right? It was short roll into like that little floater push shot yep. that he has a lot of the time. Right. Uh, Luca likes to operate in those areas. So like if you have Rashawn trying to get to that area more often and you have Luca, uh, or if that's the area Rashawn's more comfortable with and you have him rolling all the way to the rim when he's not quite as good at that, the synergy there might be a little bit off. Um, the, the lively though, defensively has been much better than what I expected for a rookie big being a rookie big who is like the captain of a defense where you have Luca and Kyrie out front. Right. And you know what? Like I know that Kyrie gets a lot of shit defensively and I'm not sitting here saying he's been great defensively by any stretch. I don't think he's been even you know above average defensively this season. There's at least been like pretty real effort in the games yep. I've seen and like he's worked and you know, he deserves credit for that. Uh, you know, the Mavericks are not a great defensive team. I think they probably should be better than like the eighth or ninth best offense in the league. And if that's able to happen, they will take a leap. Let me ask you a quick question. Do you think there's a bigger drop off in the third leading scorer after Tim Hardaway Jr.? Or do you think there's a bigger drop off between Derek Lively and the next sinners on the roster? Because I think Tim Hardaway Jr. is imperative to this team with what he does scoring wise. It's probably lively to the centers. I think I agree. Yeah. Isn't going to give them like anything at all. Who is the guy? Is it Jaden Hardy? Like, do you think they just turn the, the Tim Hardaway jr. Role over to Jaden Hardy if they had to, or do you think a multitude of guys pick up the slack? Like Grant Williams takes a couple more shots. Derek June jr. A couple more shots. Josh green, a couple more shots. I think it's probably like a multitude of guys and yeah. then they would play Jaden Hardy a little bit more. So he would shoot more. Uh, they, they've been like kind of slowly, but surely uh, I've noticed playing Omax prosper just like, yeah, a little I bit saw more that as well. Yeah. I saw here that in there. So I wonder if that could be a piece as well. That could help their defense. Omax is obviously a very, very good defender. It's just, what do you do with them on offense right now in the NBA? So yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think what ends up happening with Dallas, but you know, lively is incredibly important. And I think Hawkes is like really important. Hawkes to me has been very clearly like the third best rookie in the NBA to this point. I I would even like entertain a case for him at second, 
But, you know, if you throw out those first seven games where it was clear they were still trying to figure out like what he is capable of essentially and like how how much he's ready for uh, from a perspective of playing real minutes. His last 13 games, do you know what Jaime Hawkins is averaging? 13 games. Let's go 15 points, five rebounds, three and a half assists. It's about right. 15.2 points, 4.4 rebounds, 2.9 assists, 54% from the field, 47% from three, 78% from the line. He is a real dude for them right now. Like truly right now. I'm very glad to have always been on the Jaime Hawkes <laughs> is a good basketball player train. I feel like I've been talking about it on this podcast for God, a decade at this point. I remember watching Jaime play with Jalen green on the AAU circuit at the Adidas championships. And I was like, I kind of like that guy. <laughs> that, that, like I watched Jalen green, just like chuck up shot after shot. And I was like, I don't know, like the, the undersized, like six foot six guy that's playing center. He's pretty interesting. The, uh, that three point percentage is crazy here from a recent one. He led the team in field goal attempts in a game I watched recently, I think, or it was close, which is crazy. He was drawing mid post double teams in this game. Like that's crazy. He, he's a rookie that was drafted, you know, wherever, and they're throwing it to him in the mid post and he's drawing doubles. And then he's able to make the pass out of it. And yep. you know, it doesn't surprise him. He's ready for it. He also, is a really good off-the-ball cutter. He had multiple good cuts in the first half, whether he ended up getting the ball or not. And then they're just like running actions through or for him out of timeout. So those are the type of things that tell you what he means to this team. You know, and I, I realize they're not fully healthy, so this may not necessarily carry over into the playoffs, but the fact they're running actions for him after timeout, they're ISOing him in the mid post, like, that's meaningful, man. Like that, that stuff matters. That shows a lot of trust in a rookie. Uh, anyone else you want to talk about here other than these two? Um, no, I don't think so. I th- I think the one guy, you know, Terrence man with the Clippers, the more I watch, the more I go back and understand when we had all those conversations about yeah. should the Clippers include him? Should they not? Like he, he seems like a pretty important fit in that starting lineup now we don't like have to really dive into it but every time i've watched the new iteration of the clippers i'm like oh he's the one that has to chase steph curry he's the one that has to guard so and so player like that that's why it was important for them to keep him because they need that type of player in the starting lineup yeah you just need a guy who can play without the ball in his hands yes right like you have James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and then Russ is going to play minutes. Norman Powell is going to play minutes. Like somebody has to be willing to play without the ball. And yeah. Terrence is very happy to do that, uh, which is huge for them. Obviously, as well, the defensive side of it, they need somebody that can chase guards. Uh, Paul George can do it a little bit, but you don't want to tax him at this point in the regular season with having to do it. Terrence Mann's a really, really critical guy. I, I mean, like, should we bring up the great uh, Detroit Pistons savior, Boyan Bogdanovich? Let's not, man. Like, let's just. I already talked about the Pistons for an hour tonight and everything that we're. We took suggestions for what this team can do moving forward. So um, I feel like we talk about the Pistons a lot over here on Game Theory. They're 2 and 18. They don't deserve to be discussed tonight. Yeah. Uh, Boyan, 22 points uh, on 7 to 15 from the field in his first game. It's a good sign. It is a good sign. It's a nice, 
nice, nice play. I thought that they were, I told myself I was not going to watch the Pistons for a while. And then I was like curious about the Boyan addition because it's like actual shooting. I thought they were competitive against Cleveland, which is good. Yeah. I mean, you can, there were still major miscalculations this summer, Sam. One of them being maybe depending on Boyan at 34 year old being healthy, but seeing him on the floor and then going, man, if they had Monte Morris also on this team, you could see where like maybe it would have made a little bit of sense along with some other things that we've discussed at length on this podcast as well. So yeah, yeah, I mean, now it's going to come down to what is it moving forward and how can they, how, how can they get out of this? So, yeah, like it just felt like that game, like their bench just got boat raced, boat raced, like by Cleveland, like the starters were fine. It was just the bench got like totally boat raced uh, outside of Boyan. So, uh, okay. Bryce. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah. So at Motor City Hoops on Twitter for Pistons and then general NBA, NBA draft content and the Pistons Pulse podcast. If you want to listen to us talk about Boyan Bogdanovich, the savior of the Pistons. I'm just joking. We don't. Um, but if you want to listen to that, um, dropping on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, we actually went tonight live and dropping on Tuesday. And yeah, that's it. Uh, I appreciate this, Sam. I always love recording um, peek behind the curtain. I was like deathly sick on Sunday night. My whole family, literally four out of the five of us were locked in our bedrooms all day on Sunday. And so that's why we're recording on a Monday evening. We're all back. We're on the mend. We're feeling better. All is good. And uh, I was excited that I got to do this with you tonight. Yeah. Figured I'd save it. Uh Friday, I believe I have Andrew Schlecht coming on to do a fun show. Uh, Middle of the week, I might try and grab somebody. I might not. I'm trying to figure out a game plan for when I'm out on vacation in a week uh, in terms of podcasting and getting you guys some content. I've kind of talked to Bryce about a couple of ideas. We'll see whether or not we decide to go through with them. We probably will. Um, But that's all we got, really. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.